0: Well, I think that Keith DeGreen has a, a great analogy here about progress and he makes the comparison that if you were at a horse race, the number one horse would win a million dollars. Number two would win a hundred thousand. He says that doesn't mean though that the winner is 10 times faster or 10 times stronger than number two. He simply was 1% faster. And he says this, if that is true, there's no logical reason to believe the difference between a man who earns 10 times more than another, is that he works 10 times harder or is 10 times smarter. Indeed, as with the racehorse, it's that extra 1% that can make all the difference in the world. Now, the analogy he uses is is financial, but it applies to, to progress in general. If you want to change your life in any area, you don't necessarily have to put in tremendous effort. It doesn't mean you have to do 10 times more. But 1% can make a, a huge difference in life. 1% can lead you to the life that you're truly looking to live. As Cavette Robert, speaker and writer, said, there's a choice to grow through life or to simply go through life. To grow through life is to say every day, let me seek to know more about purpose, more about Christ in my life, more about how the, the world works and having biblical wisdom grow through life, or go through life. We're going to look at something that holds people back, something very clear in Scripture, and it'll help explain why people do the things that they do, most of all, that person in the mirror. As we talk often, Jesus, when He said, it's finished from the cross, sin was paid for in full. Those who trust in Him, sin covered past, present, future. But we all know we still have sin in our life. And so if we're perfected by one offering, why do we still struggle? Like Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. How do we move into that life and put forth that 1% more every day to seek to be better followers in Christ? Well, the key is found First 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul says, God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through sanctify means set apart holy set apart from sin here's how he sanctifies us he says this may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ you notice there it's spirit soul and body we're going to focus especially on that word soul for a few moments the challenge is sometimes in scripture soul and spirit are used interchangeably But there is a difference, and that difference is clear in places like here, where Paul says we are made up of all three parts. There's the body, there's the spirit, there is the soul. Well, what is the difference? Understanding that difference is key to understanding, again, answering that question, why do I do the things that I do? Hebrews, as we have quoted many times, chapter 10 says, we have been perfected by one offering for all time. And again, we have to ask if I'm righteous, if Christ has made me righteous by taking my sin and imparting his perfection and holiness to me, well then why do I still sin? I'm not talking about the world itself. There are plenty of scriptures that explain why things go on in the world. For instance, 1 John 5:19. We know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John 3.19 Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So it's very clear why the world is in the situation it's in. But for those in Christ, again, the question is, if I'm sanctified, perfected, well, why do I still sin? brings us back to that difference between spirit, soul, and body. I'll read a few quotes and explain this verse. main thing to remember here today, though, is there's a difference between living spiritually, where we listen to Christ, follow Christ, and living soulish, where we are driven by that selfishness or ego that leads us to sinfulness. So let's take a look at what is the difference between the soul, the spirit. Donald Mann says it like this. The Bible describes man as a spirit in a body who has a soul. When we are born again, we receive the righteousness of Christ in spirit. Paul says we are united in spirit with Christ. Literally, your spirit is united with Christ when you are told things in Scripture like you were buried with Him and you were raised in Him. We are united with Christ in our spirit. The part that Scripture says is, is born from the first or born again, that is the Spirit. And that is where you are united with Christ. The Holy Spirit resideth in you. Greater is He in you than he in the world. That is in your spirit. Your spirit is perfected, righteous, covered by the blood of Christ. However, we again understand by Scripture that there's the body. Our body's not perfected. That's why we still have illness at times. But our spirits perfected but just like the body's not perfected there is the part of us called the soul also not perfected what is the soul then the soul is the the will the mind the emotions but it's even more than that there's a part of us the soul that is the part part of that wrestling match that internal struggle that paul was talking about He was wrestling with that part of himself, that fallen nature, that soul, where he said, the things I don't want to do, I do. It's a real wrestling match. And every day we can choose to say, I'm going to live spiritual, follow Christ, and I'll demonstrate what that looks like here in a moment. Or am I going to be soulish? The reality is you can go back and forth between these two parts five times a minute. What we're called to do, though, is to live in that spirit. And again, I'll show you what that looks like here in just a moment, literally 1 Corinthians 6 20. Notice the words here of Paul glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He mentioned your body, your spirit. He doesn't mention soul. Why? We'll see again, the soul has a different part in that process of what we call salvation. Just like the body, the body here is your actions. to to glorify God with your actions and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God, but the soul not mentioned there. So let's talk about what that means. Hebrews 4.12 is key to understanding the difference here. Hebrews tells us the word of God is living, active, sharper than any double edged sword. And here's the key. It divides soul and spirit. The Word of God is alive, active, sharp, divides soul and spirit. How do you live spiritual? The Word of God will separate from our thoughts that which is selfish, driven by ego and will, from that which is spirit and truth, dividing that soul and spirit. Do we live soulish? Do we live spiritual? Soulish is following into that selfish nature, selfish will, Selfish emotions, spiritual is living in that place. We all may not be able to put into words, but again, I'll demonstrate that here in a moment, and we know what it is, whether we can put it into words or not. To live in spirit is to be in Christ, to hear that voice, to follow that voice, to be in love with Jesus, and to say, you know what? This this is what life is truly about. Watchman Nee wrote much about this. He said... What you exhibit in your thoughts that you allow and the words you speak and what you do are all controlled by the soul and thus produce your manner of living. Born again in spirit by the grace of Christ, something he did completely on our behalf. The soul, though, thoughts and words, actions, that's the wrestling match that we seek to control so that we live following after Christ by Choosing that life. What you exhibit in your thoughts. Again, Paul says to be renewed in our thinking. That word renewed is the same word we used about transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. How much different should our thinking be? It should be a complete metamorphosis. When you exhibit in your thoughts, the the thoughts of scripture like David, hide this in my heart so I may not sin against thee. That is a thought that is spiritual. When it's thoughts about fear and anger and upset and wants and competition and how do I get mine, well, that's soul. The words that you speak. One of the greatest examples, of course, King David, who would break curses from the enemy as we're called to do by the confession of the promises of God over our life and to to speak against false things and to speak against that which is sin. What did David do? He walked onto the battlefield and Goliath is mocking the army of God. And he says, "Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would mock the army of the Lord? Give me a weapon and I will close his mouth. You see, that's the difference between words that are spoken of how maybe, you know what, this is the end or things will never get better or things will never change or there is no hope. Versus standing on the promises of God and saying, you know what? In the name of Jesus, I claim this for Him. In the name of Jesus, I commit my marriage to Him. I surrender my life unto Him. And I trust that all the promises and yes, promises of God are yes and amen in Him. And then what you do? The actions that we take on a daily basis. Donald Mann says, you are born again in spirit. But in this life, for now, the salvation of your soul is up to you. Notice the words here. God has sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, but He does not do it. He helps you as you do it. Spirit is there to help us so that in our soul, the choices, the will, the mind, the emotion, that internal wrestling match, that we can take control of that by living in spirit. When you live in spirit, the soul surrenders, submits, and then living apart from sin is easy. When we get In our soul, suddenly it becomes hard to resist sin, and the spirit becomes pushed down. Again, day to day, what am I thinking, thoughts, words, actions? Bob Fraley notes about Jesus' words, Where Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing. Bob Fraley says salt is one of the most stable compounds on earth on its own. It will not lose its saltiness. Salt becomes ineffective only when it is contaminated with some other material or chemical salt becomes contaminated. And that's when it loses its saltiness in Christ. We are naturally in him to be the salt of the earth, preserving righteousness, Unless we become contaminated, soulish, then we lose that salt. Dutch sheet says this: A soul in agreement with your born again spirit looks like Jesus. Very clear. When we are spiritual, we look like Jesus, and the world can see it. As Dutch Sheet says again, how much of Jesus or the mind of Christ is actually displayed in your body and in your manner of life is dependent upon the amount of renewing in the word of God in your soul. The primary battle is in renewing the mind or the soul. So here's a moment. Let me share something to demonstrate what it is to be spiritual. Simply listen for a moment. Ruby Hamilton came from a business family, and she would share they were very successful. But her life came to a a screeching halt when her husband of 32 years died in a car accident. She would go on to say, though, the challenge for her personally on top of that grief was wrestling with faith in God. She was a believer, she said, and she had prayed often for her husband and she was convinced because she said, I heard that still small voice of God whisper that my husband would give his life to Christ. She said when he died, he had not given his life to Jesus. Roger Simmons would say the date was May 7th. He said he'd never forget it's the day he got out of the army. He was heading back home, lived close to Chicago, was hitchhiking. He said a black Cadillac drove close, didn't even put out his thumb. He said somebody driving an expensive car like that would not pick up somebody looking like him, but to his surprise, the car stopped. Window rolled down. A man said, are you heading home? Roger said, yes, just got out of the army. The man said, get in. I'm heading to Chicago. And Roger said, I'm not quite going to Chicago. If you could drop me off before then, that would be amazing. He said, he and this man, they shared a ride, talked for a few hours. The man dropped him off. He was grateful. The man gave him a business card and said, hey, maybe I'll see you again sometime. Five years would pass. Roger would get married, have kids, start his own business. One day he had a meeting in Chicago, was getting out luggage, found an old business card in there from that man that gave him a ride. That man had a business in Chicago. There on the card it said Hamilton Enterprises. Roger was excited to stop and see this friend he had known five years ago for but a short time. When he got to Chicago, he looked up the business, went inside, said, could I see Mr. Hamilton? The secretary said, that's not possible. However, you can see his wife. He was escorted into a room and out came Mrs. Hamilton, shook his hand and said, you knew my husband. Roger said, yes, your husband gave me a ride home. Do you remember when that was? Of course, he said, I do. It's the day I got out of the army. It was May 7th. She would ask, did anything special happen on your ride? And he would say, well, I have to be honest, I'm a believer in Christ, and as I was in the car with your husband, I shared my faith. He was very moved by that, and I told him, you know, Jesus, just surrender your life to Him. He'll..." right your wrongs, forgive your sins. He said, your husband was so moved by that, he pulled over to the side of the road, we got out of the car, and he wept, and we prayed, and your husband gave his life to Jesus. But I'm sure you know that he must have told you. And Ms. Hamilton began to cry and said, for five years, I believed I was abandoned by God. Because I thought he didn't answer my prayer. I'd prayed for my husband's salvation. And all this time, I didn't know. And she said, I did not know because my husband did not make it home that day. After he dropped you off, he was in a fatal accident before he reached Chicago. But you have no idea the gift you've given me this day. What you feel right now, what we sense in this moment, that's living in the Spirit. When people leave worship or their prayer time or their time in Scripture and go forth and they feel alive in Christ, when they hear that still small voice and they say, I'm in love with Jesus, that is spiritual. But when that same person, that person in the mirror then goes and gets consumed in self and ego and selfish things and fears, that's the soul trying to break through and take over because that soul has to be kept in check. That soul wants to dominate. But when the spirit is right and fed and healthy, the soul naturally submits and our mind and our will and our emotions and our words become very much just like Jesus and walking in that faith becomes so much easier. Hudson Taylor the missionary to China once wrote to his wife and said we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. No matter what we may be facing or where life may be right now, we have all the promises of God. And one of those promises is we can live victorious in Jesus over sin and self. And the way to do that is to say, I study Scripture, I quote it, I confess it, I walk in Christ, and He divides that soul and spirit by His Word. Here's a final example of what that looks like. Stephen Furtig shared this. The wrestling between the soul, the spirit. He's talking about King Saul, who was so jealous of David, soulish. He tried to kill him because David was the anointed one to be the real king. That made Saul furious. Stephen Ferdig writes this I thought I was fighting someone. I thought I was fighting something, but the real fight, the real war, the real battle was not a battle with them, it was the battle within. There are times in my life I am Saul. I've been fighting the wrong battles. I've been trying to kill what God is trying to use. I've been exploding at people, in a bad mood with people. If I would just bless the Lord, if I could only get myself right, if I could only get my mind right, if I could get my eyes fixed, get it together, it would be so different. You see, Saul is a walking, talking civil war. He's taking out what is happening within himself on the closest available target. Parents do it all the time to their children. It's not that you don't love them. You love them more than you love yourself. But you don't love yourself. And so you cannot give them the love you have for them. If there is no love of God flowing through you, you are not fighting for them. Stop yelling at your wife. Stop taking things out on others. I'm fighting myself. And when I'm at war within myself, And when I'm a wretched man, and when I'm fighting what Paul calls the weapons of this world, when I am fighting within myself and fighting the very things that God is trying to use in my life, slinging spears at David, the very one God sent to fight my battles, I wonder, are you and I trying to kill something God is trying to use? Sometimes I am fighting against what I should be fighting for. We have all the promises of God. Ask yourself this week, am I living spiritual or am I living soulish? Choose the former. The latter is the cause of constant problems. We need to stop fighting what we should be fighting for.